What's up, heroes? Welcome to the Producer Life Podcast, Episode 74. Today, I had the pleasure of interviewing Sky Ramsey, better known as Skybreak. Ramsey's signature jazz-infused melodic bass style has earned him support from Alice in Wonderland, Nightmare and Slander, Spagheady, Chime, William Black, and more. His project began in 2016 and already features two full-length albums, several EPs, and official remixes for Josh Bogert and Oliver's and Decero. He's also had releases with Disciple, Lowly, Bygore, Odeo Records, Rushdown, 99 Lives, X-Bolt, and Art Form. In this entertaining, informative interview, Sky talks about how he got his start in dubstep, his writing process, favorite plugins, and he shares his secret for vocal processing. But first, cue the intro music. Sky, welcome to the Producer Life Podcast. Hey there, happy to be here. I am excited to have you here today. You have the distinction of being the youngest producer I've ever had on this podcast, and I think oh, that's uh, that's going to make for an amazing conversation. That's nuts to hear. Yeah, being being young and in this industry is quite nerve wracking at times, but um, yeah, should be exciting. Yeah. Yeah, you you are you're killing it so far. I I am amazed at the quality of your production and uh I, I guess that's really my first question is how how did you get such a fast start? You know, what's what's your musical background? The truth is it wasn't really a fast start per se. Uh I grew up in a fairly musical household. It wasn't, you know, we're not exactly practicing like Beethoven on the piano from age 3 or anything, but um I was brought up listening to a lot of music. I think I outgrew the kids music stage quite fast. I think by the time I was about 4 or 5 my dad started playing me some of his favorite 80s hair metal bands like uh Iron Maiden and okay. some other a bit more sophisticated music. And my mom was really into a lot of kind of, not exactly Motown per se, but kind of like, you know, the cheesy 70s and 80s music as well as some of the 90s grunge. So I kind of grew up on a lot of what I would say is objectively good music from a kid. So that kind of stirred my brain juices a little bit. And uh, I picked up drums when I was about six or seven and took some songwriting classes at a local school. So uh, by the time I picked up, music production when I was about 10 or 11 years old uh, off of Monster Cat videos, um, I kind of already had a sort of grasp. My music really stunk until about three or four years ago. But um, so the truth is not really a fast start. These things do take time. And even if you're not as fortunate as I was to be able to grow up in a family with a fairly sophisticated music taste, um, then uh, yeah, I don't think it's ever too late to start. Okay. So, so actually, even though you're only 18, you've been doing this for like 10 years. And, um, uh, you mentioned you took some songwriting classes. What, what was that like? And was that offered by your high school? Um, so there was a bit of like an out of school program, uh, in my town. I'm not going to reveal what it is. I don't want to dox myself, (laughs) but, um, I took drum lessons there as a kid and about four years into my drum lessons, uh, my teacher was just basically like, Yo, we're starting up this class of a bunch of like, you know, the, I want to say like seven to 14 year olds, and we're going to teach you guys basic music theory and basic songwriting. And I was like, all right, cool. Awesome. Whatever. Uh, At the time, I didn't think much of it. We all kind of started out 
doing all this stuff on piano and guitar and like basic instruments and learning, you know, the four chords of doom and all those <laughs> funny things. But uh, eventually we kind of all branched off into our own styles. And that was really, really gratifying for me because a lot of, well, the, a lot of the other people made like pop and, you know, heartbreak music. I started to delve into the geekier, stupid <laughs> sound design bullshit type stuff. And uh, they quite enjoyed that, um, to be honest. And that was kind of having that instant feedback and instant rece- reception, even when you're kind of trash. I think um, <laughs> that really helped me <laughs> out. And also kind of being able to tackle the fundamentals of songwriting and be able to apply some of that into my more modern stuff. Because usually you don't really think of EDM and as like a very songwriting driven genre, but uh, you'd be surprised how much possibility can be opened up by, you know, kind of having that basic grasp. Not saying I'm a god tier songwriter, but uh, you know, it, it definitely helped as a foundation. Yeah, and and I think that definitely shows through. I mean, I when I heard your dubstep, I, I immediately thought, all right, this is melodic dubstep. But I've, you know, because you've got these amazing piano arpeggios and and solos, and you know, it's it's very very melodic. Um, but I also understand it's been called color bass. Can you can you describe the difference between like melodic dubstep and color bass? Oh, yes. Uh, there's like 80 terms for it, to be honest. Uh, color bass, color rhythm, melodic rhythm, future rhythm, future bass. Wait, not that one. Um, just, a ton, <laughs> just a ton of different names for it. Uh, I think what kind of sets it apart is it takes the kind of, you know, soundscapey, wondrous, lush textures, uh, very chordy stuff from your, you know, Seven Lions, Elenium, Dabin said the sky crowd it takes all that kind of lush melodicness and combines it with something a little bit more filthy like stuff from virtual riot and a lot of the stuff that uh people from disciple are doing um and it's kind of finding that halfway point so it really doesn't fall in either one category so there's a lot of disputes and arguments over what it should be called but um that's kind of what color base would be that halfway point Okay. Awesome. Um, one of the things that I was going back through your tracks that that's not clear to me. So, um, are, are, do you, as you're putting these together, are you playing like the piano pieces? Are you drawing those in in MIDI or, you know, sort of what level are you at with your, uh, instrumentation? Um, so a lot of that is actually sequenced <laughs> madly enough. Um, a okay. lot, uh, if you kind of, for a while, like, you know, I was learning the stuff on piano very youngly and uh, I was in my jazz band. So I, I know marimba, I kind of know what keys correspond to what, um, but frankly, my piano chops are fucking horrible. <laughs> so I, <laughs> yeah, I, Alfred's level two here <laughs> pretty much. Yep. That sounds about right. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I kind of, I memorized my key binds and what works in the piano roll and by ever so slightly nudging notes, like a millisecond left or a millisecond right and uh, messing around with the velocity, AKA like how hard the note hits, uh, you can turn a basic sounding, you know, piano doodle into something that sounds truly realistic, uh, provided you use a decent enough plugin. <laughs> yeah. You I mean, it sounds very organic to me. So uh, what, what plugin are you using since you brought that up? Um, so I use a collection of plugins, uh, for a while, I kind of go through phases to be honest for a while. I was using labs, soft piano, uh, labs oh. is a free plugin, amazing library, uh, made by a bunch of people around London, I think, uh, from Spitfire audio, 
they do a lot of really, really good contact instruments, but they have their standalone called Labs. And every month or so, I think, I don't know if they still do it, they'll release a new kind of pack of stuff. And so they've got a dulcimer I really like, obviously the Lab Soft Ooh. Piano. And uh, yeah, all producers, y- y'all should get Labs. It's really great. But um, recently, instead of Lab Soft Piano, I've been using a lot of the stuff in FL's Flex Library. Uh, like Steinway D piano, really, really nice. That's free and it comes with the DAW. And uh, <clears throat> I paid for a piano call by Imagero. Shout out Imagero. I think he, I don't listen to a whole lot of his music or their music, whatever pronoun they use. Um, but um, they're, they have released this piano that's similar to Labsoft piano, but has a lot more controls and a lot more kind of dynamic feel. It's uh, It feels very soft and pretty and you do need to bump up the gain a little bit, but um I found that sounds really organic and pretty as well. So it's kind of between those three. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll uh, make sure to link some of those in the show notes. Um, now you, you took a songwriting class uh, or several songwriting classes. It sound like over the years. So as, as you are coming up, do you, do you typically start with chords? Do you, is there a standard workflow for you in FL studio? Um, it really varies on the track. Uh, I've found if you start off with chords, it's a bit easier to write like a melody off of that. But if you start with the melody, uh, it's fun to mess around with really, really strange, you know, chords underneath it. Like, how weird can I make this progression and make it work? Um, but <laughs> frankly, sometimes also it's fun to make kind of a rhythmic clause by uh, sequencing drums into a creative or fun way. Yeah, I would think so, with your background in drums, that's that's probably one of your fortes is the the drum sequencing part of it. For sure. And actually, there's one more kind of workflow thing that has been really, really exciting for me. Um, and that, this inspired a lot of the tracks off Lumina and a lot of one of my upcoming projects, uh, which won't be out for a while, unfortunately. Uh, big things coming soon, you know the phrase. <laughs> but um, sometimes I'll actually I'll have a concept in mind or a visual image, like maybe of some kind of crystalline cavern with a bunch of like pretty fluorescent lights or some kind of, in the, in the case of River Spirit, uh, I pictured this like water elemental, this benevolent water elemental in this like nighttime forest in this crystal blue lake with like a wooden, a rusty wooden dock going towards it. And I thought, how can I put this into audio and still make it go hard live? So sometimes I'll come up with a concept like that and see where my brain takes me going into that flow. That's a great tip. That's that's beautiful imagery. And I'm reminded of the uh, Julian Gray interview I did a while back. Um, and his entire EP was built off of a sunset that he saw as he was flying in a, to an airport. And that that imagery inspired the whole EP. So that's so cool. Yeah, no, that's definitely that can give you some really unique concepts, because uh, it's one thing to write a song about like, uh, whoop de doop de doo I love you and concepts. But it's another to kind of be able to be inspired from some kind of nonchalant, non-touchable thing and uh, yeah. see where that takes you. Um, so you mentioned FL Studio. Uh, how did you how did you originally pick FL Studio and, and uh, what's kept you with FL Studio as opposed to some other DAW? Um, so I think the reason I'm still on FL Studio is because Actually, when I was like 10 or 11 years old, that's a hard one. I never thought about this. I just kind of picked up FL. I used this, I used to use this crappy DAW 
called Foundation Studio. I don't know if it's improved, but it was. A yeah, f- I think there's a website. I think that's web based now. Yeah, it, it always was. <laughs> it was like a web based DAW with mm-hmm. like no controls and you had to pay to drag in your own audio or something. It was like yeah. nuts. But um, I kind of learned my basics of MIDI and stuff um, and, you know, basic drum sequencing and stupid stuff like that <laughs> and in that DAW. And I guess the reason I chose FL was my parents were like, we're going to get you a DAW for Christmas. Your budget is like $200, like pick something. And as we might know nowadays, $200 is not much. But uh, for FL, $200 can get you producer edition, which is like, in my opinion, the best bang for your buck, because you can pretty much get anything you want out of that. It's not like Fruity, uh, the Fruity edition, which I think limits you a bit too much. But uh, producer editions like that mid-tier one, you can get you get your audio, you get your sequencing, and you can install as many VSTs as you want to do the rest. So uh, that's what I went with, and the rest is kind of history. And uh, for why I stuck with it, it's probably just force of habit at this point. Um, but I really, really love the piano roll. I've tried Ableton a few times. Uh, I've especially I've collabed with some people that use Ableton and tried to use it. But uh, frankly, I don't know. I've been so used to using it as like a canvas and I kind of know the DAW and all the shortcuts like the back of my hand. I, I kind of couldn't imagine trying to force myself to learn something new. But uh, one day I'll probably hit that brick wall. <laughs> well, I've, I've talked with a lot of producers that like FL Studio. So, you know, I think it's you know, if it's working for you and, uh, you know, as you said, you've got plenty of VSTs out there, even if the doll has a limitation, you can probably find a VST that'll do what you're looking for. For sure. Uh, you mentioned your EP, which came out back in February, I believe that was Lumina. Yes, that was Lumina. Okay. So, so you have, I mean, looking back at your release schedule, I mean, you really started releasing a year or two before the pandemic, right? Like 2018 was sort of your, your your debut is that is that right um i was releasing a little bit earlier than that uh under the skybreak alias uh i've just actually <laughs> purged most of the music under skybreak before about 2017 um i think what i would consider my debut ep that you can still access is um my world EP, but I think which was released on X Vault all the way in 2017. I absolutely can't stand a single song on that EP nowadays. But uh, if you want what in, is, in my opinion, my first like actual discovery of what I wanted to make, and like this is my vision, this is what I really like to would want to listen to and stuff like that. I'd say my first ever release would be my album Above the Clouds in 2019. And everything after that is still tolerable, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so above the clouds is kind of that's your sound. That's that's sort of the defining. Uh, hey, this is this is what I want to sound like, and this is my vision. Um, it my new stuff is quite different to above the clouds, but that was kind of my big learning experience where I learned a bunch of stuff. I put myself to the test. I kind of worked on it day in, day out. And, you know, the production quality is obviously, it doesn't match up to what I've got today. But um, a lot of the tricks I still use to this day kind of came out of that long production process. And it was really a test of willpower. I feel like that, because that especially came in the period, I'm totally rambling here, <laughs> that especially no, came in the, in the period where, like, when you get about three to four years in, uh, you know you know you're slightly better than like you know someone just starting out it's the same thing as like the dunning kruger curve which is like 
at the beginning you think you're god tier and then you're at the bottom of the curve where it's just like you're not anything special but you're also not like horrible so it's like you're kind of in that halfway point and you're like you don't have a sense of identity and that can be really really draining for new producers i know that's kind of the no man's land where a lot of people kind of back out and try something new but um above the clouds kind of represents to me i guess my persistence of that and kind of breaking free of that my music isn't special at all state and just defining my own style so yeah no it's not the greatest music i've ever written it's not it probably doesn't hold up in comparison to my newer projects like lumina and some of the singles i've been putting out but um, it was important that I wrote that because it got me out of that dip and it gave me a bit more of a signature sound, I suppose. What do you? What did you do differently that you, know, you described it as getting you out of a dip? It sounds like kind of almost a, a leap forward. What what changed in your your habits, your practices, your process? Um, I suppose. Hmm. That's, that's a tough one. I suppose, you know, I was forcing myself into kind of a box of like, I'm Skybreak. I make 2014 Monster Cat inspired music with at the time 2018 mixdowns, And I, that's all about, that's about it. Um, I feel like in 2019, I started to kind of, you know, I, I, digested media like that was a bit more sophisticated like uh the game celeste really really brought me out of that uh a lot that's one of my favorite games ever and above the clouds inspired by celeste um so i took a lot of the elements from that soundtrack that kind of layered chip tune emotional sound that kind of crosses over a lot of boundaries of genres and i wanted to incorporate that into my music and so i, I really don't think the process was that much of a conscious thing it was more just like I, when you work hard enough at something, you're bound to discover something new and you're bound to, you know, break that stone wall after a thousand hits and well, a thousand hits of your fist. I don't even know if that's a phrase. <laughs> you're bound <laughs> to break the, break the concrete if you just keep hacking at it eventually. And I guess it wasn't like I was consciously going and discovering a bunch of new stuff. I mean, obviously the game and the new sound design techniques I learned from trying to remake sounds from Celeste helped a lot but um it was all about just kind of whacking and whacking and whacking at it until finally i broke through and was like yeah this is this is good music this is me this is something that hasn't been done before to my knowledge you know okay was the decision you talked you talked about getting rid of a lot of your back catalog before 2017 was that a hard decision or how did that come about um, you can probably still access quite a bit of it on YouTube. I just don't necessarily want it tied to my brand because I've I've had changes in mindset. I've had lots of big strides forward. Um, it wasn't that difficult of a decision, I suppose. Um, it was just more like, okay, when I want when people are listening to the Skybreak discography on Shuffle Play, I, I suppose I want there to be a certain level of quality that they can expect, and all of a sudden they don't press skip to the next one and they get blasted with an 8k hertz resonance instantly like i don't want that <laughs> okay um all right well good uh so talk talk to me about the most recent track that you've released i know you're you you as i was getting ready to uh come online with you here i, I saw you posting about clearer sky which just dropped 
Um, talk to me about that track and how that came about. Oh, this this one is filled and filled and filled with stories. Um, this is going to be a long, a long series of events. I've got notes on this actually. Awesome. <laughs> like okay. Good. Woohoo. Um, so pretty much, uh, clear sky. Uh, for a lot of my songs, you know, it, there's a whole lot of planning and grr, everything has to be done right, like instantly, and I have to. You know, there's kind of that industry mindset that everything has to be perfect, but Clear Sky didn't happen like that at all. In fact, it started off as a bit of an accident. Um, on uh, March 6, 2020, uh, my friend, he wasn't really very close to me at the time, but uh, my good friend Neat sent me the main chord progressions MIDI file in a uh, Discord community we were mutually in, and he pinged me saying something like, make something with this MIDI or I'll actually kill you or something. <laughs> and, and yeah and at the time i wasn't really close to him so i was like all right um i'm not trying to get killed okay so um i saw bendel uh, who was my other main collaborator on the track he was calling in a different voice chat uh in his server equity uh he owns a label called equity uh with liz deck who makes a lot of like kind of trappier inspired stuff and uh someone else called mister who does a bunch of chill and they kind of release forward-thinking melodic inspired underground stuff not necessarily color basey stuff but just a bit more like you know future collective i would say is the closest label to their sound if you listen to any of that but um yeah so he's sitting alone in a in a voice chat and uh, i join in it's like whatever what's going on uh i start sharing my screen i, I plop in the midi i'm like whatever and so he's like yo this midi's pretty sick like can we collab on it and uh, I was like, all right, sure. And because at that point, I've been working so long, I got into that, you know, euphoric flow state. When you're when you're in that flow state, it's like being on drugs. You don't know what's going on in a good mm-hmm. way, in a good way. Don't do drugs, kids. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I we're so all of a sudden, yeah, we're working on this tune. We're at the time, I think we were making the breakdown with that initial guitar thing. Like we're mm-hmm. we're we're jamming to this thing, and all of a sudden, uh, Neat, who sent the original MIDI, joins the call, and my heart drops. I'm like, oh yeah, actually, yeah, remember that original MIDI? Yeah, I actually Neat made that, and I slightly revised it. Ah ha ha. So um. <laughs> so yes the three-way collab spawned out of a threat and a bit of a white lie um so he hopped on the track obviously of course i'm not gonna I'm not gonna be rid someone of their credit that would be that would be a shit thing yeah. to do so thanks um, for the chord progression yeah thanks for the chord progression uh see you later but um yeah so we kind of we worked for the next few days just you know building out the structure of the song and we didn't think much of it. We were just kind of three people dicking around with a MIDI. At the time, I was just starting out Lumina, which was like a passion project. So this one was just very much like kind of a side thing. And we were never really close. But this goofy MIDI debacle would eventually blossom into the wonderful track that is Clear Sky today. Uh, I guess the lesson I learned here was that you don't really have to plan out every single moment of a track from the get-go for it to turn out into something good. And... uh if I can keep rambling about this, let's talk about the lyrical meaning. Um, Please. Yes. Uh, so back in April 2020, uh, to put it simply, and I don't want to get into too much gruesome detail, but um, he had been struggling with a bit of mental illness in the previous year, but uh, he, he's better now and he's better at the time. So he approaches me to write him a song for his birthday as a birthday present. Uh, and he enjoys a lot of music with like deep societal meetings like uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall, great album, and Supertramp's Crime of the Century. 
Uh, these all have, you know, things that criticize society, kind of existential stuff like that. Uh, and for weeks, I really, I tried my best. I struggled to live up to that immense expectation. I tried time and time again to make something very cryptic and meaningful, but absolutely nothing I threw at the wall felt authentic at all. Uh, Cause I'm a very emotional, not analytical person, as you might've noticed by now. <laughs> so eventually I just kind of gave up on trying to push my songwriting to its absolute limits. And I decided to write a slightly lam- less ambitious, but more personal set of lyrics. Um, uh, he had previously struggled with some mental health issues, as I was uh, talking about before. And I recalled those feelings of like feeling so helpless and like desperately wanting to be there for him. Uh, so I pitched my lyric idea uh, to Bendel and Neat. At, at this point, our track structure was pretty much done. Uh, they were both on board to kind of go with the theme. And uh, eventually we sent the lyrics and melody over to Sofu, who crushed it on the vocals. And that's when the song really came together to what it was today. And um, yeah, I sent it to him again. It was like a birthday present. And <clears throat> he, he said, you know, it, it felt very authentic. So that was very good news. Uh, so yeah, Clear Sky isn't really a song that's about the meaning of the universe or some kind of existential societal issue that's deep rooted in society. I know they're present. I know they're there. And I would love, I've done a few charity streams uh, to kind of support a lot of the issues that are happening now. I have a few more planned, but um, I'm not a God tier lyric writer or songwriter that would be able to pull that off and have it feel authentic. Uh, But it's a song about a promise to stay alive and be there with friends at their lowest points until they feel comfortable to face the world. And that's clear sky. (laughs) That is that is awesome. That is awesome, and it's it's a beautiful track. And I'm going to make sure I get that linked and uh, shared out. You you talked about the early part of it, um, collaborating over Discord. What what did that look like? I mean, was that just you sharing a screen and then them saying, "Hey, well, I think you should, uh, you know, make that a minor chord," and "Hey, why don't you try adding some more reverb?" Or was was there some other technical aspect to that where you would bounce stems back and forth, or how did that work? So usually, the way I like to collab is one person kind of has the hub project which is like where the final render is going to be and then the other collaborator or collaborators kind of send them midis drum patches uh stems for certain sections and we all place it together in um in this case bendel kind of had the main hub project he was using all his uh thousands of contact libraries and we were making the midis i was sending drums and pianos and all that stuff like that and neat was doing a lot of pads and chord progressions and cool doodles and um, Bendel kind of ranged them together. And then uh, I eventually got all the stems and I did the final mix down uh, with Sofu's vocals. And that's kind of how it works. Usually it, 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 we always try to make it even, but it's always one person that kind of does that big hub thing. And then we try to incorporate other people's styles. Is there in your collaboration process, do you do you typically discuss like artist splits and stuff like that early on, or is that just something that hey, we're we're going to make some cool music and we'll figure it out later? Um, I've found I always prefer just you know saying from the get go, we're going fifty fifty and we're going to make a banger, you know, and that's um that's what I like to do. But I know some people are a bit more business oriented than me, so <laughs> I would probably I would probably get absolutely get shouted at if I didn't have such a cool manager, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. When you were when you were describing how things progressed here, you talked about how for a lot of your tracks there's this feeling like oh I got to plan everything out. So when, what does that mean? If if a lot of your tracks are planned out ahead of time, what 
how do you plan out a track? Um, see, that's the funny thing. Every time I try too hard to plan a track, I feel like I end up sacrificing a lot of creative decisions I would have made. So I'm actually trying to move out of that mindset some more. Um, but I suppose that would mean like, do I want this to have a super heavy drop and like a super atmospheric intro, just kind of having those time markers up front or, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna pass the project back and forth and meet at this week every time. Or, you know, like just kind of things like that, where it becomes a little bit more formulaic. Uh, and obviously that works sometimes for me if, cause I'm quite organized about this kind of thing. I, I like that feeling of security, just, you know, being able to sit down and be like today I will make song. But uh, if the creative juices aren't flowing, then you end up really starting to fuck up your music. So um I'm definitely trying to move away from that a little bit and just kind of going with the flow and seeing where it takes me because that tends to yield better results. Okay. Did you do the processing on the vocals for clear sky? Cause they are, they're just gorgeous. It's, it's very crisp and, and uh, airy and just really well done. Oh, thank you. Yes, I did. Um, really, really uh, great performance on Sofu's part. A lot of the reason they sound so good is because she's a great singer, but um, my, uh, my, my household, chef's secret uh is i use the build-up plugin called endless smile and what i'll actually do is i'll bring it up on the very first preset to around 50 Mm percent and uh that creates a really really nice overall reverb and delay glaze and then you know i'll i'll do all the compressing and all the eqing and all that stuff like that boost the sweet spots um but uh, endless smiles definitely a chef's secret Interesting. Yeah. I've never thought about using that as a, uh, usually I, I will use endless smile. I'll sometimes automate that like 16 bars leading into a buildup, but I've, I've never, uh, never tried using that for vocal processing. Interesting. For sure. I think if you use a lot of plugins for reasons, they're not meant to be used. You can actually yield some really creative epiphanies, you know, like, uh, for example, using autotune, on something very like glassy and atonal, like, you know, like some kind of ding or something like that. If you can auto tune that like super hard, you can create these really cool, colorful textures. Uh, that's something Chime does a lot, actually, in some of his tutorials. Huh. Interesting. Okay. I, I've heard, uh, I've had some other artists come on that talk about using um, guitar amps, for example, on a lot of other instruments because they like that sort of grit that it adds and. So, um, but I think a lot of that just comes down to experimentation, which, you know, is a little bit time consuming, but you know, it's the happy accidents that sometimes turn out best. Definitely. And it's those happy accidents that can really become, you know, a genre defining or style defining thing. Like it's one thing I had a conversation, uh, another tangent, here we go. (laughs) You know, we love these, but, um, I had a conversation with one of my friends who's developing a plugin about uh you know stuff like serum and vital and phase plant where you got all these parameters and they're all amazing and they're all do really precise things like that um and he calls i'm like these are like legendary it's so great to have them but he likes to call them fast food synths because they are you are it's so easy to get stuck in that same mindset of like tomber filter process you know all all that stuff um that it's you end up ending up with really really similar sounds every time he's like 
I personally like finding these like obscure VSTs. And then if you can make that into something really cool, that's when you start to get those genre defining insane things. Because at some point, um, the whole timbre filter process, <laughs> filter process, 17 not filters thing, someone had to discover that. So, um, yeah, fast food synths. I don't necessarily agree with that term. I think serum, faceplant, and vital are awesome, but it is a cool mindset to kind of get into, I suppose, messing around with new stuff. Yeah. And uh, there, there is no right or wrong, I don't think, in music. You know, I was listening to an Armin Van Buren masterclass recently, and, uh, you know, he starts off with presets and and that's a starting point, but then, you know, he'll layer 15 of them on top of each other. And I've been a member of uh, Ill Gates producer dojo for a while. And one of the things that he said that was very insightful was that, you know, you should think of your entire DAW as a synthesizer because the plugin that you stick in there, the serum or whatever, you may wind up adding a dozen additional effects after it. It's not just Hey, the synthesizer stops with that patch. There, you know, there's a million different things you can do after the fact, and so the whole doll is part of the synthesis process. Right. Yes, that's that's a good mindset to get into as well. I think. So, um, so you you're big into video games too, and it sounds like that uh, you mentioned earlier that um, there were some games that have given you inspiration for your music. How? What's the interrelationship between those? Ah, uh, yes. Um. I think whether it be kind of aesthetically going back to that thing of, you know, taking a visual and making a song into it, uh, whether it be kind of the aesthetic or musical clauses from games, I think, I think there's a lot more value musical value in video games than people give it credit for. Like, I think it's video games are very seen as like this thing that's like, or like you play it and you rot your brain or whatever but uh no it's it's really like the best of the best with best of the best coders the best of the best musicians best of the best artists and they're all on a, on a time crunch to make a good product and sometimes it's fucking horrible and goes down in history as something awful but sometimes it's in my opinion one of the purest art forms ever it's really a combination of mediums so I don't know. I, I always think it's really a treat to watch that in a way that, and it's also interactive. So it's like, it's really a treat to play them in a way that I think just listening to music kind of isn't. I think, yeah, listening to music, obviously you'll get inspired by stuff. Everyone has their music tastes and there's like a myriad of stuff. I mean, what, like a billion hours of music gets uploaded to Spotify every month or some probably not that much but like some ridiculous number and it's just like it's a lot it's a lot it's a lot more than you could digest in a lifetime <laughs> but um yeah. yeah uh but um i think kind of combining a bunch of mediums is where i like to take my inspiration from because that's where you get really authentic blends of genres and ideologies and philosophies and stuff yeah yeah and it seems like there's the the longer I do this podcast, the more overlap I'm seeing between music producers and video game fans. Um, I think it just comes naturally. You know, we're geeks. We like to uh, twist knobs and push buttons. And so, you know, whether we're playing video games or mucking around on the doll, it's, it's all similar. It's all computer stuff. So. For sure. You, you talked about, um, or, or we just talked about, you know, the the sheer volume of music that 
goes on to Spotify. And obviously a big part of standing out there is making amazing music. Um, and I, I was looking at, you know, you've got 20 some odd thousand monthly listeners, which is terrific, especially for somebody that, uh, you know, is, is really just getting started. Talk to me about your release strategy. I, I saw you posting today, for example, about Clearer Sky, but uh, what sort of things are you and Landon doing in terms of promoting your music and, and what's working and what's not? So it really kind of varies per release. Uh, I think the goal is uh, where a lot of producers stop is they announce their music and it's like, I'm going to be releasing this track on so-and-so day. But what I think, um, what I think people like Porter Robinson, Virtual Riot, these God tier stars uh, do so well is they get people excited about the music. And that is what good promo is. So I think, a lot of people say invest in a Facebook package or, you know, like all that, all that stuff that doesn't work in my opinion. I think if you release insanely high quality music and you do things like Instagram Q and A's community engagements, start a discord server, do Twitch streams, that's going to promote your music. Uh, buying something, something from a snake oil salesman that says this promo package will save your release. That's, that's not going to cut it. You really need to be excited about your track yourself and you need to get other people excited. So we kind of invest our time and money into purchasing really cool artwork, really cool teasers. Some, one of my favorite senses of promo was um, back when I released my blood moon with my friend, Neil, AKA storyboard, we're both really big Zelda geeks. Uh, we played link to the past for a live stream and we didn't get so many viewers cause we were both quite tiny at the time. But it was a lot of fun for us, and it stuck in people's heads. And for Lumina EP, I had each track, again, I was going into River Spirit before, I had a kind of like a meaning in mind for each track. So I post that out, and that sticks in people's minds. Uh, I don't think seeing an ad of like a picture of your release is going to stick in people's minds. So yeah, maybe those packages will give you a temporary 250 extra streams and a slap on the knee. But um. I think for more long-term stuff, yeah, make exciting promo assets that give your release more identity. Okay. Do you, um, when you're creating those promo assets, do you typically just, hey, here's the vision, here's the music, and and turn them loose, or do you, uh, how much do you guide and steer that creative process? Me personally, mm-hmm. or um, so it depends if it's a self-release or a label release. Um, but typically, I'll try to suggest. A lot of things and we'll see if we can do it because you know we're we're humans we have limited time uh i've it's kind of a 50 50 because i'm not really amazing at graphic design frankly (laughs) but uh, i do have visions for what i want to see so kind of getting that onto paper is kind of what i do so i i guess suppose it's a 50 50 thing because for things like streams and tutorials and all that kind of jazz or that's and discord community events i'm all game for that i know how to i know how to get a bunch of 16 to 25 year old geeks riled up <laughs> okay so you're in terms of your marketing and your digital ad, i mean you're you've got a youtube channel you've got a discord server you do twitch streams uh, where else are you uh active that you're getting a lot of engagement uh surprisingly um newgrounds actually is popping off especially for dubstep because they are a long neglected community um 
everyone thought they kind of disappeared off the face of the earth in 2009. But um, Geometry Dash actually has brought a bunch of younger people, like, you know, 12 to 16 year olds. You can corrupt them young. No, <laughs> but um, yeah, they're always looking forward to new music and they're always going to be really, really engaged fans that are going to tell all their friends and tell all their family about your music. So that's how you can. I, I feel like that's a really good place that's popping off and probably will pop off even harder as these kids grow up and are able to go to raves. So I, I missed what you said. Was that, is that a channel on Discord or what is that? Uh, so Newgrounds is a multimedia website where it's like it's have you heard of the game Geometry Dash? I have not. Oh, all right. That's a, that's a, that's the generational divide there. Here we go. Um, Geometry Dash is a game, a rhythm game, where you tap a button and you jump. You're like this little cube-looking thing, and you jump to the beat of a EDM song. Okay. And it's run so off like this 2D Beat Saber. Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's kind of like, you know, a really hard Mario game versus Beat Saber. And what's cool about it is it's there's a ton of community levels um, and they all use this music and everyone in the community kind of knows like what's good to listen to and all that stuff. So if you, if you can get on those kids radar, like you're, you're in business and a lot of them are really, really sweet people. They're really engaging and yeah, it's cool. Okay. All right. So you're, are, are you building community levels or you're just, uh, you're engaged with the community and oh, by the way, I make music and uh, how does that, how does that work? I'll be completely honest. I'm by myself. Uh, I'm not big in Geometry Dash. I, in fact, I actually do not own the game, uh, but I post <laughs> my music to Newgrounds, which is the website, the multimedia website. And I was luckily whitelisted so people can make music with my uh, or make levels with my music. So kind of just by word of mouth, I started discovering that the four or five songs I put on Newgrounds semi as a joke because I thought it was a dead platform started blowing up and all these people started joining my Discord server. So I myself, I'm not very active in the community, but a lot of people who are are tuned are also active in my community. So I guess it's kind of like a Venn diagram type thing and I'm in my own circle. No, that makes, that makes perfect sense. And it goes back to the point about the overlap between producer and gamer communities. Um, one of my earlier guests on was uh, approaching Nirvana and uh, he got his start producing sort of free music that was available to the Minecraft community on YouTube. And so um, he, he blew up because of that. And so it sounds like this is kind of something similar, but for, for a new game that's popping off. Yes. Okay. Much exactly. Cool. cool. All right. Uh, do you have other than, uh, for example, um, endless smile, do you have other favorite plugins that you like to use with fruity loops or, uh, other particular processing tips that you could offer my, my listeners? Um, something that's really, or a plugin that I've kind of just become a bit of an inside joke between me, my friends, and my fans is there's a plugin called Disperser by Kilohertz. Uh, it's really, really great. It's like a phase rotation plugin, which makes it kind of make it sound very squelchy or very, you know, chunky, like depending where you adjust the settings. And interesting. I stack about 12 to 15 of them <laughs> on sounds. <laughs> And it sounds really cool. It bubbles up the transients a lot. So 
every time I'll like make a sound in a song and someone will go, yo, that sounds sick. Uh, chances are someone's going to comment. It's probably just 15 dispersers. So, <laughs> so, um, if anyone doesn't really listen to my music or they're not really involved in my community and you're only just hearing about this, uh, try chucking a few dispersers on your sound. It might just make it sound pretty cool. Interesting. And then uh, are you automating the various phase settings or are you just setting them randomly or adjusting to ear? Uh, I just kind of adjust to ear. I have a preset of dispersers all set around randomly. There's 12 of them in the patch and it's called Dispersers Haha. That's the name of the patch. (laughs) I'm bothered to change the name to anything actually meaningful. Okay. All right. That's that's a cool tip. I'll have to check that out. Disperser. Who, Who makes that plugin? Uh, kilohertz and Kil- yeah, kilohertz and uh, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do a real shameful plug for them here. Uh, they have a subscription service for nine ninety nine a month, where you get access to all their plugins, and they got like forty or something, and they're all really really nice. And you know, <laughs> I don't have a whole lot of money to my name, but I'm more than happy to give them ten bucks a month so I can use their plugins because there's a lot of them, and it is a steal. Okay. Well, speaking of subscription services, so there's a bunch of different uh, subscription services for uh, like Splice that offer sort of rent to own models, but but also, you know, huge sample libraries. Loop, Loop Cloud is another one uh, that I moved to a while back. Are you, do you subscribe to any of those? Do you, to what degree do you use samples? Um, I have a Splice subscription. It's quite nice. I personally, I can't get into the habit of Every time I want to make a song, I have to open up a separate application and drag it in. So most of the time, I just get entire packs, and I have a big sample library where I make all my samples. I'm, I've been learning a lot of synthesis. Uh, I'm currently working on a sample pack. Don't really know what we're doing with it yet, but um, that might come out at some point. Uh, but I've been using a lot of those samples myself. So yeah, I just like having whole packs that I can kind of browse through when I want it, and I have them organized by genre. Okay. I, I will plug, I, I moved from splice a couple years ago to after three years to uh, loop cloud and, and the killer feature on loop cloud, in my opinion, is that they've got a VST. So you can audition all of your samples within your mix. Um, so whereas splice, I would download five or 10 different sounds, and then I would, uh, you know, have to drag them into the DAW and try them out to see how they sound in the mix. Loop cloud just exponentially sped up my workflow because you can audition them right there, see how they sound. You don't even have to buy the, uh, buy the sample if you decide it doesn't sound good in your mix. So um, it's, it's the VST is really cool and you don't have to have a subscription to use their VST. You can go download the loop cloud uh, VST and use it with your existing samples. So no way. Yeah, definitely, That's so cool. Definitely check that out. So, uh so you you have literally decades and decades ahead of you. Um, you you know you, the future is wide open and it, it looks incredibly bright from from the music that I was listening to the other day. What are your plans for the future? What's next? All right, so things things coming up that I can talk about. Um, we're working on getting my first show or two on the road. Uh, no real spoilers about that, but I'm very, very excited about that. So currently I'm learning to DJ, uh, for the first time. (laughs) It sounds ridiculous. I know, I know everyone's dream is like, oh, bro, I want to become a world famous DJ. I want to tour. I want to do all this stuff, but I've always been like the knob twister 
when people are like, oh, are you also a DJ? I go, no, but uh, <laughs> not yet. But now, not that yet. The, now that the demand's going up, uh, I actually have to learn. And at first, you know, learning all the stuff, it was quite overwhelming. Uh, you know, I'm trying my best to not learn, to not use sync. Uh, I'm trying to learn to beat match at the moment. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think what was really great is about two or three months ago, I played my first set to my friends and I didn't fuck anything up. And for once I had fun, you know, I no longer really had to focus on like, oh my God, am I twisting the right knob? <laughs> but it was more so just like, I could just kind of breathe through the synth and the same way I can kind of breathe through FL or breathe through drums, maybe not to the same degree, but, um, and I was like, oh, so this is why people want to do this and get paid for it. Yeah. So, yeah, so that that's kind of what's next. Just a lot of live stuff, and I've got lots and lots and lots of new releases coming up. Uh, some collaborations with some of my good friends, both underground and established, that are coming out very soon, and that's going to be very exciting. And that's pretty much what I can talk about. <laughs> okay, well, that's that's awesome, and and I don't think it's so abnormal. Uh, you know, I've had several producers on here that got their starts producing, and then they moved into DJing. What's your what's your vision for your live performance? Are you going to play exclusively your own music, or some mixture of friends and and other people on labels that you participate in, or is it going to be a multi genre type thing? So I am actually one of my lesson clients that I'm teaching. Coincidentally, I give him a fairly nice discount because after every session, he feedbacks uh, a DJ set that I do. Uh, So at the time, I was just spinning whatever and like, okay, cool, awesome. But uh, I realized now what I want to do for live shows, please book me, agents, if you're hearing this. (laughs) my manager landon but um yeah i want to take people on a journey i want to play a lot of my own music obviously i'm thinking 50 percent my own music 50 percent other people's Mm -hmm. and uh lots of flips and edits and stuff i kind of want to play a combination of the more color-based future rhythm melodic rhythm stuff that i'm kind of making right now some of my tracks that delve into other categories uh, as well as some heavy rhythm sections like real slammer, real f- floor slammers. And uh, I want to also kind of incorporate, I, I don't like using the term cry bangy, but like just your typical melodic dubstep type tracks, uh, as well as edits. And I want to support a lot of underground acts that don't normally get played because I feel like a lot of them make really, really good music are debatably better music than some of the stuff that does get played at clubs. But the only reason it's not being heard is because it hasn't been heard. So I would like to kind of curate some of that into my sets. So yeah, it would kind of just be like a bit of a journey thing, uh, precise phrasing planned, but not too planned. We're just, we'll just see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, when you say, I guess kind of, uh, when you say plan, but not too plan, do you, you know, you know that you would be playing certain of your tracks and then would you, do you see yourself just kind of picking based on what the audience is enjoying or do you think you would wind up pre-planning most of your sets or have you given it that, that much thought? I think I would definitely want to pre-plan at least while starting out um, because I have a specific identity that I want to fulfill with my sound, you know, 
organic but technological visuals you know um very melodic and floral sound but also gets the crowd pumping and kind of figuring out these tracks in an immense library on the fly is going to be quite hard (laughs) for someone starting out just like me yeah so i'd say yeah um just for phrasing sake and stuff like that i think my first few sets are going to be mostly pre-planned but obviously if i if i play a if i play a chilled out future rhythm tune and the crowd just looks at me and shrugs their shoulders we're going (laughs) we're going back to like you know we're going back to heavy stuff yeah got got to read the crowd so um all right well where can people find you online so that they can uh, hear about your upcoming shows and releases Yes. Um, so the best place, uh, and I know some of your listeners probably don't have discord, but the best place to get updates and community events and stuff like that. I, I always ping my discord before my other platforms, but uh, other than that, if you don't use discord, uh, I'll announce pretty much all the same stuff on my Twitter, which is skybreak EDM, Instagram, also skybreak EDM, Facebook, skybreak music. And, um, those are kind of my socials. I'll be plugging away on that. Um, as for new music, uh, you can always look at my Spotify page. That's pretty epic. That's just Skybreak. Should be one of the first results. Uh, I think somehow no one on Earth has taken a name like Skybreak. Or rather, <laughs> no one has taken the name Skybreak. I don't know. Thank you, God. Um, <laughs> where else? That's pretty much it. Oh, and SoundCloud, of course, uh, if, you, if, if that's your jive. Okay, awesome, and and uh, you know, shoot me a link to the uh, Discord server, and I'll I'll provide that on the show notes page as well. And uh, that is fantastic. I uh, I think we're going to see big things out of you in the coming years, and uh, really appreciate you being a guest on the podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was very professional. Thank you. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. I've got a ton of links for you in the show notes at producerlifepodcast.com. Just look for episode seventy four. Please take a minute to leave a rating and review wherever you're listening to this podcast. I would love to feature some of those on upcoming shows. Until next week, this is the House Ninja reminding you to be somebody's hero today. (laughs) 